0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor.
1: What's up, guys? Happy Monday. Another podcast during the dead season. Absolutely nothing going on right now, so we're just reaching out to some of the more awesome people around the NBA, trying to see what they're up to. Last week, you heard from Gigi to Tomé. This week you're going to hear from a very special guest, somebody that's been covering the Celtics possibly longer than what some of you guys have been alive. No offense there, Mr. Stephen bolpet How are you doing today, Stephen?
0: Wow, and you know, uh, I've uh, I'm only 17.2 years old. I've, I switched to Celsius a couple of years ago.
1: That's a that's a good call. Then I was I was going to guess LePis yes, to begin with.
0: Yeah. No, don't no. <laughs> July 7th, but, uh, 17.2. Yeah.
1: We're going, with, don't look, do don't look
0: at day over 16. I know.
1: I want to do that conversion later. I'll do the, uh, the maths from Celsius to Fahrenheit.
0: I've disabled the app on your phone.
1: <laughs> How you been doing? How you been keeping since everything that went down earlier in July?
0: It's been interesting, uh, in a really good way. Um, you know, uh, I've had, uh, uh, even before uh, July, uh, when we were when I got out of uh, quarantine, because I had spoken to Marcus Smart after the last game they played. So, um, but once I got through with that and stuff, it's been uh, just a chance to to get healthy and stuff. You know, I usually do that for a couple months after summer league, but uh, it's been a prolonged time. And uh, I, as I told you, I think before uh, you know. Actually, I was I was talking to Joey Crawford uh, a couple of weeks ago, and um, we decided that the NBA is a pre-existing condition. So, uh, you know, it's not not the healthiest of lifestyles. So, uh, but doing a lot of that, and in terms of uh, the job thing, been very lucky. Uh, there have been some very interesting things presented and uh, some things that are uh, interesting possibilities that are out there. But um I've had the. I've been really lucky enough to be able to kind of sit through and figure out what's best. Um, you know, I I, I know I'm going to uh, work again at some point. Um, I'm a Greek boy from from Westland, Massachusetts. So, uh, you know, I, my grandfather would roll over in his grave if I ever. Uh, my, my papa would uh, reach down and uh, slap me if I ever uh, stopped working. Considering he worked till he was 87. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just, I want to make sure that, uh, what's next is, is the right fit. And, um, and I've just been really grateful to the people that have reached out. It's been very nice.
1: And having recovered, recovered from this pre existing NBA condition that I'm sure there's going to have to go on some insurance forms at some point, <laughs> is that going to be something you're looking at working on again, or are you kind of moving away from the NBA at this point?
0: No, I mean, i you know, um, I don't think I'm quite ready to leave the circus yet. I hope to be smarter. Then again, uh, I've known I've needed to be smarter for the past 35 years and I haven't kind of, you know, light hasn't quite dawned on Marblehead quite enough. We'll see, but uh, yeah, no, I, you know, uh, I certainly will be, uh, you know, uh, more considerate of, uh, you know, of, of being healthy. And I've been really so really lucky in those regards even before this, but I would gain like fifteen pounds fifteen to twenty pounds during a season and then try to knock it off in the summertime but uh yeah um it's a it's a it's a weird existence um and i you know I'm not sure anyone really gives a rat's ass about that, but yeah it's it's strange
1: Oh yeah, um, since the lockdown went what happened over in England. And since I haven't been going out to work this, excuse the Doug in the background, everybody, that's very rare. He makes an appearance. Um, I, I've added 42 pounds to my frame. So that's been a a very enjoyable three or four months. It's going to be a very unenjoyable three or f- three to 12 months to remove that 42 pounds. Wow. Yeah. It's been a very delicious few months. Uh,
0: I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I still dream of, uh, yeah. We won't get into my, <laughs> I'll have dreams where I'm there with a gallon of ice cream, but, uh, no, you know, I've dropped 35, um, and, uh, you know, going to the gym every day, every other day, excuse me, and doing about four, four and a half miles a day. Um, uh, and it's, it's been great just to get out and, uh, you know, um, even, you know, getting out on around, I live in a very small town north of Boston and just, you know, getting out and, uh, it kind of gets you out of the the quarantine bubble and, uh, you know, meeting up with friends and, uh, you know, playing some golf and things like that. It's uh, It's been good. We
1: just got put back into quarantine yesterday, so um, there's going to be no none of that for me at the moment. I'm definitely going to do more than sit around and eat like I did during the last quarantine. I don't know what that's going to be yet. You're in a fortunate position, though, that if you're looking for new and exciting ways to work out, you've got a phone book full of NBA guys you can just hit up right and ask them what they're trying to do.
0: Well, I mean, I, I've i been working out the whole time. I would go to the gym to lift every other day because I'm, I'm kind of big and dorky. I'm 6'4". So if I don't um, lift, then all of a sudden the back decides to have a mind of its own. Um, so... That's something I've been doing all along, and in, usually during the off season I would try to do four miles every other day. Uh, but um, when the uh, when the quarantine hit, um, and I said after I, I had to sit out because I had spoken to Marcus Smart after the last game, uh, when that ended, the gyms were closed. But I said, well, I can get out. I should instead of walking every other day or running, I should do it like every day. And once I got in that routine you know, you start feeling better. There's, I've got really bad knees from when I used to pretend to try to be a player. And, uh, you know, less pressure on the knee joints and things like that. All of a sudden, you know, um, it's amazing how much better you feel when you stop being, you know, quite as stupid as you were before. But I still maintain a base level of stupidity that, you know, I'm not going to let go of.
1: Yeah, that's like the uh, the comfort level of stupidity, right? You yeah. need, You need that in life as well. You can't just be... I, sometimes I remember one of my friends saying, and he's a fitness model, so he's like ridiculously muscly and it drives me insane whenever we go to work out together. But he's like, I have no life. I have to watch everything I eat. I have to calorie count every little piece of food that passes my mouth. And I'm like, I can't live like that. That's too uh too regimented for me.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Now, when all this happened in July, obviously we weren't sure what was going to go down with the with the season. Everything was up in the air. They managed to pull it off they managed to make the bubble probably one of the most successful sporting events that's happened since COVID in terms of safety. I've heard some stories come out of there and people on this podcast have heard some stories that have kind of surfaced since, but looking around now, do you kind of wish that you were there to cover that either in the bubble or just from an outsider looking in like everybody else was trying to do?
0: Well, um, prior to uh the situation at the Herald the plan was that that we weren't we well we didn't go down and covered in the bubble um the idea was that uh I was I was going to go down for a few days just to write about what the bubble looked like tier two um allowed you into the building but away from stuff and you were staying off campus so you weren't really in the bubble I think when you looked at, uh, when everybody, most everybody looked at it, now I'm vice president of the Writers Association, so we were negotiating with the league all through this time leading up to it about how the tiers would work for the for media and, and what would be allowed and not allowed. And it just, what they were looking for uh, seemed kind of cost prohibitive in a lot of ways. Um, only a few outlets went into it, um, and I'm not sure... You know, there were some good things to be gleaned from there, but I'm not sure. I, I think from the outside, you could have been just as creative. Um, You know, even after, say, after July 1st, when I wasn't working at the Herald, I was still texting with a number of coaches who, and players who were in the bubble. So I, I still think you could have gotten good stories. Um But um I think it was... I, in the overall sense, I think it was a great thing for the league because it allowed them to to have a championship, to have a, a have a season in whatever form was really available to it, um, and kind of protect. And look, this is a financial thing; they were able to protect or to recoup some of what would have been lost. I mean, this is everybody. I I know you. I love basketball. We all, we love the game. Uh, but for, for most for the people inside, uh, talking about the owners and the league structure, it's a financial situation. It's business. And, uh, I mean, we don't, we don't begin every year with, uh, a huge need to know which is the best of the 30 teams. It's not, you know, the Republic doesn't rise or fall based on which team wins. Um, but you know it's it's entertainment and all those things. So they, they were able to protect their financial interests to a good degree, and they were able to show, even though you know your country, this country, the world can't be in a bubble. They were able to show what um, wise maneuvering with you know uh, protections, masking things like that, uh, regular testing. Uh, they're able to show that that, that stuff works. Um, we can't hermetically seal the United States, but we can do a better job of, of masking and kind of knocking down the pandemic so that if something does happen, um, we can, you know, contact trace and get those people help right away. Um, and I just, you know, I, they showed that, again, that, that things can work. Um you know maybe not it's it's going to be harder for for all of us but uh to pull off something like that but um you know i think everybody knows that we need to do better if we want to make, you know get back to some sense of uh what used to be normal
1: the new normal that seems to be the word that's flying around right now the new normal where everything isn't what it seems and every time it seems like it's getting better another thing comes and makes it 10 times worse I think the NBA did a great job. No no positive tests during the time in the bubble, even though people like Lou Williams decided that chicken wings were more important than staying in the bubble, which I found absolutely hilarious. I don't know if you found it. Well, so. I mean,
0: if you've ever had a really good chicken wing.
1: <laughs> exactly, right? Like some, I hear, Me and you were just speaking 10 minutes ago about how food is kind of dominating at this moment in time. you had good chicken. You've had good chicken. Did you speak of any of the Celtics guys during the bubble to find out how they were kind of, especially towards the end of the playoffs, so when they're against Miami and when they're against Toronto and how they were dealing with their time actually in that bubble and get, seeing each other every day? I know Jalen Brown made some comments in jest about Donovan Mitchell and not wanting to see Donovan Mitchell around. Was that all a joke or was, do you know if that was actually starting to grate on guys towards the end?
0: No, I, I that... that particular thing was a joke. They were, you know, um, those are two, uh, bright guys that, uh, um, the league would do well to hold out as examples. There were some situations. I, I tweeted about one where, uh, someone from a, a, a one team, uh, and a player from another were in uh, the bar area and had to be separated. Uh, an argument uh, happened, but that's, you know, I, I, I think the difficult part was, you know, uh, even though you're you're in this safety situation, what I got from people was that you're you're away from everything else. And it's a very long road trip. And not only that, but there are things going, you you feel. There's almost a bit of survivor's remorse because there are things going on outside the bubble that um, are frankly, more important than basketball. And um, I think it was hard for some people to deal with that. Like, you know, how come we're special and we're here and we're being taken care of? And But there's a, I think there's a whole uh, mentality that goes on with, you know, you're, you're in this situation and uh, how do you deal with it?
1: And it must be difficult. From the outside looking in, I could imagine it feeling like everything that was happening was amplified as well because it's so prevalent in the media whether it be the social justice movement or the COVID cases rising, especially in Florida at that point where it was kind of everywhere around Disney, just not inside Disney, that must have made everything seem so much more amplified compared to these guys that are literally sitting in their dorms probably eight hours a day before hitting the gym and then maybe teaching Taco four how to swim for 20 minutes. Uh, we got some great content, but for those guys, it must have been mentally, mentally challenging.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's having to buy into a situation. You know, hey, look, a lot of these guys, you know, someone like Taco or international players who come over here to play in the NBA or come over here to play in college, they're kind of in a, a similar situation, right? Uh, you know, they're away from home. Um, they're, it's not quite the same kind of bubble because there are more social opportunities. But, um, you know, I think, I mean, talking to international players probably were able to deal with it better um, because uh, they've been in a similar situation, if not quite exactly that.
1: Yeah, that it's like you say, it's the away from home, away from family. It's something that I'm hoping to eventually make happen. Move? i
0: to leave your family.
1: No, bring the family. Well, the immediate family. Bring what's, the wife.
0: what's this, Adam? Do your relatives know about this? Are you married? Is you know, is your the wife... wife and
1: child will come? But the relatives know that long term, I don't want to be here. Okay, I've made that very clear for about twelve years, um, <laughs> if not longer. To be quite honest, like so, we've looked at the way their mentality was going. I kind of lost my train of thought there. But how about their play on the floor? Did, what did you think of what we saw from them, especially against Miami, in terms of the team's ability to break down the zone? Was Kemba Walker looking like? Well, for me, Kemba Walker was looking like his knees were giving him some issues. He seemed to lose a bit of a step, especially when coming off the after screens. Have you spoke to guys about that? Are you aware of how they feel it went, or better, more? What was your outlook on it?
0: Well, I look, I I think the Celtics' issues were were their own doing. I don't think it. You know, Kemba might have had issues with the knees and whatever. But, uh, you know, the game that the Celtics supposedly had all the terrible trouble with the zone, they were flashing guys to the middle and guys were getting the ball there and making terrible decisions. We can look at at what this team needs to do, but it, it needs to get smarter. If you look at how they lost this series against Miami and why they had to go to seven games against Toronto, you can take a step back to even two years ago. And it's the same reason they lost in game seven at home in the conference finals to Cleveland. It's because guys stopped moving the ball and said, okay, I'm going to make the play here. I'm going to, I'm going to make this shot. And, you know, it's, it's nice to, for the guys want to step up and make a play, but, um, it takes you out of your offense. Look how many times during these playoffs. So, you know, recent memory, uh, did you see when the ball was moving, you're sitting there going, this is perfect. This is exactly the way they need to play. And they looked unbeatable when they played that way. But all of a sudden, the ball would start to stick. And you'd go for a stretch like that. And maybe it's a five-minute stretch or a seven-minute stretch. But it's what brings another team either back into a game or takes a tight game and allows the opponent to, you know, to really stretch out a run because you're not playing the kind of basketball that you're supposed to. Guys know the ball is supposed to move. One of the biggest uh, benefits of Gordon Hayward is that the ball rarely sticks in his hands. You know, he's a facilitator. Um, and as much as guys like, you know, certainly Jaylen, Jason Tatum, and we saw more of it from Jalen Brown, They, ha- those guys have the ability, and certainly Kemba Walker. But let's stick with Jalen and Jason. Those guys have the ability to break down a player and make a play. That's great, and sometimes the end of the shot clock, you need to do that. But both those guys, and particularly Jason, is much better at being a finisher. So when the balls moved three or four times, and, and maybe the defense isn't loaded up to him, and he gets to play, just beat one guy or have a step on a guy. You know, he's a, he's a, a an incredible finisher, and as is as is Jalen Brown. And they went away from that. And it's happened over the past few years. You know, certainly they, they got away from their game uh, last year in the second round. We you know, we saw them win five straight games. They sweep Indiana and they come out and they clearly show the blueprint to how to beat Milwaukee. And then they go away from it in the second game. And uh, it becomes more hero ball. And it's like, hey, we're, we're, we're struggling right now. I'll make a play and get us back in there. Your heart might be in the right place. But... If you do that, everyone else is in the wrong place because they're not in the wrong place on the floor. So you've kind of screwed yourself up, and I, I think that goes to youth and and all those different things that that creep into it. But I think that's where this team, yeah, you you know, you you need to do better with having a scorer off the bench. I still think they should have signed Jamal Crawford last season uh, before uh, the deadline, Uh, and they need to do better. Robert Williams need to be needs to be more consistent. They need to have better defense in the in the paint. But you just need to get younger guys to to this team to play more to its team capabilities. And I, I think that's huge. Look, I'll just say one more thing about it: is remember when this team got together in two thousand seven, and you had Pierce being joined by Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett what was the thing that they talked about the most at that those early days? It was like, Hey, you know, we've already, each of us has already got the individual honors. Now we just want to win. They were talking about, Hey, we want to sacrifice. We want to do what's best and play into this. You know, we're, we're going to move the ball. Who's going to get the last shot. Tell me who's open. That's all they cared about. And it worked. So now you've got young guys that are, you know, uh, And I'm not saying they're consciously saying, hey, it's about me, but subconsciously they're trying to establish themselves. You've got everyone telling them, hey, you're a star. And, you know, um, but I I think that that the team needs to be more cohesive in that way. I think, hey, they should have been to the finals this year with whatever weaknesses they had with bench scoring or whatever. They still should have been there. And to not get to the finals was a failure.
1: It's interesting as well, because Jason Tatum, I think it was on the Smoke podcast, actually spoke about what, he, what his thought process was like after games before the All-Star game, where he was going down and texting his agent, like, I'm not going to make it. And then he'd have a good game and he'd be like, I'm going to make it. And even though it wasn't his primary objective to become an All-Star, it was still something that was a very big driving force for his performances. And then once he got to the All-Star, He became, he started playing more, more freely. The shackles were rough in a sense, and he was ridiculously improved. And that leads to like, we talk about the youth and the kind of going away from what they're proving and the ball sticking. And there's two camps that have kind of formed at this point across social media. And one of them is it's Brad Stevens' fault, and the other one is the lack of veteran leadership. For me, I was, I feel like, um, Iguodola's pickup for Miami was huge in terms of veteran leadership off the bench and locker room leadership. And I sit firmly and they need a, a very vocal veteran on the bench. Which kind of, are you, are you the same as me? Or do you feel like some of this has to fall with the coaching staff as well?
0: I'd almost be, I'd almost say neither. Um, you know, uh, Kemba Walker is, you know, um, about as good a teammate as, as one could could hope for. Uh, a, he's supportive. Um, he's willing to give up his own um, to the point where it's sometimes it was a detriment. I think – look, I think this year is difficult on Kemba, and that's not even getting into the, the physical issues with his knee, et cetera. Um, but when you go from being a saturation scorer, when you know, a guy that has the ball in his hands all the time and is encouraged – to put it up whenever he can, not just when he wants to. Um, and you go to, okay, now I've got to be more, you know, that you can play that way. And it's, you're playing totally freely. Uh, you're playing totally on instinct, but now you've got really good players around you and you recognize the need to get them involved and uh, th- that the importance of that to the overall enterprise. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think it was, uh, you know, he, he was getting better at that as the year went along. But again, I think it's guys have got to stick with what they know works. There was nothing they were being told by the coaches that that uh, that didn't work. Everything they were told, all those plans, you know, would work. Um, and again, when they were being criticized for how they were playing against the zone, if you go back and look at the video from those games, they had guys flashing middle like they were supposed to. And sometimes the ball would get. Sometimes the ball wouldn't get there, and and then which is a mistake. And sometimes it would, and when it got there, you had guys making poor decisions with it. Um, so, you know, I, I think the largest part for what ails this team is within. Yeah, there are some tweaks that you that you would like to make, um, but uh, and you know, but I, I'd go back again. To, I wish they would. I I think the smart thing would have been to. Bringing a guy like Jamal Crawford, and I know that was up for discussion. And I think the response I got was that you know that uh, he wasn't going to get enough minutes to be you know, hey, this is a guy that can come in cold and and light it up for you, and you have to have that you know that possibility.
1: And so, begin the season, everyone hoped Carson Edwards would be that guy, that spark plug guy. And we're not saying that that isn't going to happen in the next season or two years' time, but that was really what they weren't missing down the stretch of games when they were never closed. That's,
0: that's like the hardest thing. It, you know, the most difficult and Danny Ainge is a guy who went through it himself as a player. Um, to go from from college where the ball's in your hands all the time to maybe you're the uh, first option every third or fourth time down the floor, you know that's a whole different mentality. You know, guys who are able to come down the floor, spot up, not get the ball for two or three possessions, and get it on the the fourth possession and make the shot. You know, in today's NBA, those guys are ridiculously valuable. A guy like JJ Redick is worth his weight in gold. You know, those kind of shooters that are you know that put in hours every day, no matter what, getting their shots up, uh, and are able to play without the ball being in their hands all the time. That's why. You know, I'm a big proponent of just the simple idea of ball movement because it keeps guys in the game. And, you know, if you're moving the ball side to side around the floor, uh, even if you missed a shot on that possession, there's a value to it because you've made the defense work. You've taken something out of your opponent. Um, and, you know, I, yeah, I, I've said it before. My, my mantra is ball movement is life. You know, it keeps everybody happy. It it uh, it keeps them engaged, and, uh, and and makes the defense work. You know, and that's what you want to do. You want to tire out the defense, and um, you know, and play with better better pace and tempo. So, I mean, look, it, yeah, it's again. I think a lot of the solutions to what to the Celtic issues are. The capabilities to fix those are within the team right now, although you would like to to improve certain areas.
1: Would one of those areas for you be the five spot?
0: Yeah. I mean, you you know, um, if Robert Williams was more consistent, if Robert Williams was uh, was better defensively, uh, could play to his physical capabilities defensively, your problem would be solved. Um, but that's not the case. Look, in, I remember writing about this a, couple, a year ago or two years ago, a year ago. Um, if you look at how this roster got constructed, and and what it's where it sits now vis-a-vis the salary cap, which is you know a huge consideration, um, things got kind of strange. Uh, they signed Gordon Hayward. Uh, to a, a free agent contract with the idea that he was going to be playing alongside Isaiah Thomas. By the time he gets to training camp, he's playing alongside uh, Kyrie Irving and they've drafted Jason Tatum and uh, Gordon gets injured. Jason Tatum gets more opportunity and turns out to be better you know, than they Celtics probably could have imagined that early. If they'd have known, if the Celtics had known Jason Tatum was going to be that good that soon, do they give huge free agent money to Gordon Hayward? I mean, you'd like to have a Gordon Hayward, but do you give him that kind of money or do you have that money aside to maybe pay a bigger player, you know, someone that, that fits more fits a need than uh, than what you have. So right then things kind of got a, a little bit out of whack. And then, you know, there was the whole Kyrie thing and the, the peaks and valleys with that.
1: That was um that whole Kyrie experience was an experience. we can say it was definitely a roller coaster time when he was in there. And he captures a lot of heat for making the decisions that he made. And for me a lot of that is because of what happened at the season ticket holders event to start the season compared to what happened at the end of the season. But it ended up with the Celtics getting Kemba Walker. And you've mentioned playing ball movement and you can keep everybody involved. And Kemba Walker has spoke multiple times now about his willingness to move off ball and play without the ball in his hands. As he's getting older, and as we saw with his knees after the All-Star game, do you feel like he's going to eventually kind of evolve into this spot-up shooting role? And you have someone like Marcus Smartmore as the ball handler
0: uh I'm not sure um you know what marcus we've got a uh um have an intervention with Marcus about his shot selection um maybe not the shots but the timing yeah
1: and the amounts um, amount.
0: yeah well, I mean you know but um I think you'll see i think you saw this year kemba playing off the ball when uh, Gordon Hayward is just on the floor. You don't necessarily need to have Marcus there to, to have Kemba off the ball. And if all these guys are moving, then they're all off the ball at a certain point. And it's, you know, which makes it which makes it more difficult for the defense to load up to any one player. You know, because you're running guys off multiple picks and you're, you know, you're, you're putting a measure of chaos in the defense. So, um, yeah, I mean... Um, And how much better, how much better a three-point shooter was Jalen Brown this year than he was prior, um, and so you know, and those things improve over time. You know, two of the greatest players in NBA history came into the came into the league with what would be known as probably substandard jumpers, uh, Magic and Michael, and you know they just work at it. Um, a couple of years ago, the the Warriors came into town, and I had to go over to their practice. They played the night before in DC, and I had to go over and do a column on uh, on Steph Curry, and um, great guy. And uh, so they finished the practice, and we're talking to some people, and Steph goes back out and he's shooting threes with the coach, and he's around the perimeter, five, 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 and five, and this goes on for a while. So he finishes up, and uh, uh, I talk to him for you know, I, I get. Uh, have a great conversation with him. And hey, good to see you. Good to see you. Um, and he's walking in, I go, Hey, Steph, one, one, one thing, just for the heck of How many shots do you get up after practice? You see, 300. Okay, this is Steph Curry getting up 300 three point shots after practice. On the flight from DC to Boston, he didn't forget how to shoot three pointers. So if this is a guy that's this good a shooter already, thinks this is something he needs to do, you know, it clearly, that gets into the whole mentality of shooting, which to me is fascinating. uh, Why guys make shots at the end of games. Um, And I, I think it is a mentality situation, not just physical ability, but this is what a guy like him is doing. So, you know, you can improve your three point shot and you can become a better spot up shooter. You know, you you used to go to Clippers practices and see JJ Redick firing him up after practice. You know, you can go home and whatever, or you can work on your craft and make yourself invaluable to your team.
1: I like how we've touched on the three-point shooting and the improvements directly after we speak about an intervention for Marcus Smart, because those two things go hand in hand right now, right? Like um, his three-point improvements have been ridiculous. But the volume of shots that he took, especially down the stretch in the playoffs, was a a little bit too high for my liking. And then you've got, and again, this has kind of made two completely different camps on social media now. You've got the Marcus Smart is God camp that's (coughs) on one side. And then you've got the Marcus Smart needs to go camp on the other side. But nobody's in the middle. Um, I haven't met a single person that isn't in one or the other camp at the moment. How's your expectation? Do you expect the players to be checking him on this and saying like you're putting up too many silly shots or are you expecting the coaching staff or are we going to be subject to 14 to 16 shots a night, Marcus Smart next season?
0: I, I, don't, I think with Marcus, the, the issue that I would have with him is just on a few of the shots. I don't mind him. You know, if he's got an open shot, he has to take it you know, um, you don't want it to be really early in the shot clock. And you definitely don't want it to be contested. But if he's got an open three, he has to take it because if he doesn't, then the opponent, the defense doesn't honor him, uh, honor that possibility. And that gets people in everyone else's way. So, you know, firing up a three, uh, if you're open is never should never be a bad thing. And to his credit, Brad Stevens never discourages guys from taking open threes and good shots because, again, it changes how the defense has to play you. And, you you know, by him not taking it, he'd screw up other players. Um, but with Marcus, he's he's one of the, the my favorite people I've had to deal with over the many billions of years I've covered the league uh, since, I think it was the Cenozoic era. Um Anyway, uh, he is uh, a truly nice human being, uh, heart in the right place. Really good guy. When he gets on the floor, he's a lunatic, and I mean that in the in the I mean that in a loving way. Um, so what you get out of Marcus, you know, he's 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 on that line, on that fine line, and he steps over it occasionally you know, with, with getting into someone's face and picking up a technical foul where he should just walk away. But that's, you know, he has that that part of him. But if he were not that kind of, of a guy, he wouldn't be that kind of a defender. You know, you'd like him to pick his spots better and you hope as he gets a little bit older and wiser that he'll, he'll be better at that. And he has gotten better at that. Um, but it's, uh, you know... So is it the old story that, uh, uh, you know, my, my brother's crazy. He thinks he's a chicken. And someone says, well, have you taken him to see a psychiatrist? And it's like, no, no, we need the eggs. You know, what you need out of Marcus, you need so much out of him that you have to be willing to put up with some of um, what he goes, you know, when he gets in someone's face or, or shoves somebody back because he figures he thinks someone's taken liberty with him or with a teammate. You know, you just want him to be better at that.
1: That's, I like that analogy because that really is the, that kind of completely epitomizes the Marcus Smart experience as it's become to be known. The only thing I... You know, really
0: can I interject something else? Of course. What's interesting is when you talk to other teams, knowing how much other teams really covet Marcus Smart. I mean, they would love, I mean, his value... Uh, around the league is huge because having a guy like Marcus Smart, you get not only what you get out of him defensively, we're talking mainly, but the fact that he, as hard as he plays, it shames teammates into playing harder. Not that the Celtics don't play diff- play hard defense as it is, but let's go back to when Avery Bradley started to get more minutes with the Celtics and that team had had already won and was getting a little bit older. And they were kind of sloughing off on defense. Avery Bradley gave them a defensive mentality. It's like, oh, damn, this guy's playing really hard. It's going to show me up if I don't play hard. So Marcus's value on the league is huge. And when the Celtics were trying to get uh, Anthony Davis a few years ago, um, someone uh, inside the, the uh, Pelicans told me, you know, they – Anthony Davis is an incredibly talented player, but his toughness, you know, has been questioned over time. Uh, Someone inside the Pelicans told me the Celtics better not include Marcus Smart in a trade for Anthony Davis. If you have Anthony Davis, you're going to need Marcus Smart there. So, you know, you can definitely pick apart some things about everyone's game, but, uh, it's like you uh, you got to look at what happens, what you miss if someone goes away. You know, people could pick apart parts of Al Horford's game, but when he left, what did you miss? And how hard it was it to recreate the good things he did?
1: That was a – knowing that Anthony – Knowing that Anthony Davis could have come to the Celtics kind of makes me happy that he didn't in a way because then we wouldn't have got this year out of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown that we've just been lucky enough to kind of watch that growth. Knowing that Marcus Smart's value is higher around the league kind of worries me, especially when the team's going to be looking to maximise any value they have at the moment to put themselves in a position of contention. We've had highly teams value him and I've seen rumours which I've took with a pinch of salt the the Warriors are trying to figure out a way to get Marcus smart for their first round draft pick this year. And I feel like that's a load of conjecture just to get some clicks. But do you feel like this could be the year Marcus smart gets moved because of the, his values at its highest point?
0: I don't know. Uh, I, I think in any kind of trade possibility, it's, you know, tell me what you're being offered, you know, um, that's everyone says. Well, they should go. And they should do this and do this. What's it going to cost? Uh, what do you get? What's is is the value worth it or not? Um, yeah, the Warriors are a team that certainly uh, likes a guy like Mark Smart. In fact, um, this past season, uh, on an off day, uh, the Warriors practiced at the Garden, and uh, I did a story uh, with. Uh, a, spoke on the side with Draymond Green about how Marcus is a lot like Draymond Green and how much Draymond, who, by the way, Draymond has no problem lighting up guys around the league, you know, verbally, you know, uh, calling guys out and, uh, you know, dumping on them. But he was, he spoke glowingly about Marcus, about the way he approaches the game, the, you know, his, uh, um, how hard he plays, all those things. So, yeah, that's a team. And what's funny, I was talking about this with someone recently. Um, we had mentioned earlier in the conversation about how the Celtics really kind of blew the Game 7 against uh, the Cavaliers a couple of years ago in the conference finals. And um, the Warriors, and I remember writing about it then, uh, because I knew it to be fact, they were much happier to play the Cavaliers than to play the Celtics. They were concerned about the Celtics. They had been for a couple of years because of the way the Celtics play and the way they're able to switch position, you know, switch uh, picks, uh, all that stuff, and how hard the Celtics play. So, uh, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. I'll put it that way, that the Warriors would be interested in a guy like Marcus Smart. Um who has a lot of deliverables um, for for what can take a team with with a lot of talent and uh, create the kind of defensive mentality or help with the defensive mentality that that pushes it over the edge?
1: And'll we'll, we'll end the podcast on this question so just to get your thoughts on this before we let you get out of here is with the way the league's looking at the minute in the east, looking at the east where you've got Janis and Milwaukee, KD and Kyrie, you've got the Celtics you're probably going to have Toronto or Miami back in that mix as well possibly if there's some moves from Indiana do you feel like the Celtics still have enough in their roster to be the team to come out of the east next year
0: yeah um it's you know it's it'll be difficult but there's you know coming into this past season i remember writing that you know no team um Every team in the in the conference, even the best teams, had their blemishes. Um, Milwaukee, I thought was going to be was going to be more difficult for them because um, losing Malkin Brogdon was was a uh, that was tough for them because you had to put a lot more eggs in Eric Bledsoe's basket. You know how's that work out? And I think again, I think the Celtics did show how to beat Milwaukee in the playoffs last year. You beat the hell out of out of Giannis. Uh, and force other guys to beat them. Um, And the Celtics went away from that and got a call for a couple of early fouls in game two, went away from it and never, and the team just kind of spiraled out of control at that point. Every team had its issues. Philadelphia, uh, losing J.J. Redick, losing Jimmy Butler. Um, So all the teams you're talking about are teams that certainly the Celtics need to be concerned about. But... um, you know, how many teams would you rather be than the Celtics? You know, it, you don't want to uh, mess up what you have trying to get better. That's, I think, the most difficult job that Ainge that has right now is whatever moves he makes, um, you might be able to add a really good piece, but what do you lose in that? Um, and again, you know... Um, I think they're I think they're in a pretty good position. I think they, they should have been in the finals this year. You know, I think it's their I think it's their own fault that they weren't. I think they just they didn't play uh they didn't play team ball well enough you know, and push the pace and do all those things. And you know, you you have a couple of they'd have a couple of bad, two or three bad offensive possessions, and shoulders would slump on the other end. And, you know. Um, it, can be a, it can be a really fine line. I'll, I'll tell you one quick thing. Prior to Game 7 against the Lakers in 2010, I was a few hours before tip-off, and a few guys were out shooting. And um, and I was sitting on, at courtside and just talking to Ainge, uh, or just sitting and watching just what was going on, um, you know, guys getting their early shots up. And he said, you know what's interesting? He said, um, right in, in a few hours, we're going to know who won this game and who lost this game. And the team that wins this game is going to have it all figured out. They are the, the blueprint for what, what you need to do. And the team that loses this game is going to have to go back to the drawing board and figure everything out again and, you know, and make all kinds of changes. And we don't know which team is which right now. Okay, this is, you know, at the end of the season, we got one more game left. So that just kind of shows the fallacy of, you know, when you lose, that everything has to be fixed or that when you win, everything is great. I mean, in that game seven, if Kevin Garnett posts up more, the Celtics, you know, it would have been impossible for them to lose their 13-point lead. There wouldn't have been enough possessions for the Lakers to come back um if he because if he pulls up he either makes a shot gets fouled it stops whatever run the lakers are on so you know that's how how tenuous uh winning and losing can be it's it's a it can be a very fine line so i mean you know again three hours before tip off and it's you're trying to figure out you know which team has got it is perfect and which team needs to fix everything
1: It's crazy to think that there's so many as well. There's like the East has been weak for so long that now, and I purposely left Philly out of that list when I first read it out to you, um, simply because I don't feel like we know what type of Philly team we're going to see come tip off um, of opening game. So I've kind of left them pers- purposely off. And I'm just saying that because I will get crucified on Twitter for leaving them off otherwise. But when you talk about it's that mentality as well. It's one team's going to have everything figured out, and another team's going to need to basically rewrite their entire team and re redraft or make a few changes. And that's what I'm expecting out of Philly, which is why I'm not sure what type of team we'll see now they've got Darren Morey.
0: Well, Philly's you know, that's from a few years ago, especially when the Celtics saw them in the playoffs, you could just see, you know, how mismatched Philly was. And, um, you know, Ben Simmons, this is a guy with the ball in his hands outside that, can't won't shoot from the perimeter. Uh Joel Embiid is, you know, one of the handful of, you know, when when he's on, one of the best, most dominant players in the league. But do he and, and Ben Simmons fit well together? And, you know, and I thought last year I and mean, does Simmons make the right decisions with the ball enough, or is are his numbers a lot of his numbers based on the pace of play that they they were doing in the regular season? Um, you know, those are guys that, that – we're talking about young guys that need to get better and need to uh, to get better and, and grasp the game better and what works well for their team, not just them. Philly's a great example of that. But they, I thought they killed themselves last year when, you know, Redick leaves and Butler leaves, you know. Uh, but Redick's a guy that, that keeps the, the, the middle space for a guy like Embiid. Butler's a guy that can get his own shot late in the clock. But look at what you have now. The, the Miami Heat represented the East. Do you think that Miami Heat is – that's a team that's going to be making changes because of you know, all these guys. Are they going to be back? Um, is that the blueprint? You had – the best thing that Miami had going for it was you had guys that bought in to what they were doing. Um, they were willing to live with uh, Duncan Robinson and Tyler Harrow Firing it up. I mean, you got the ball in your hands, it's up, you know. And uh, like on almost every other team, a guy like that would miss two shots and people would be you know, looking at him sideways. The teammates would be looking at him sideways, but no, Miami, yep, that's what we want to do. Keep doing it, keep doing it. And that gave those guys confidence and made them better players in what they were doing, you know. But, uh, and you had the emergence of an out of bio. But is is Miami the team that you say? Oh, that's going to be the team for the next five years. You it's, know, it could be depending on what moves they make. Yeah. But well, what's there right now? You know,
1: what's there right now? I'll be shocked if they make it through past the second round of the East next year. Depending well, on
0: who. again, it's it's. I still think they're pretty good in a, in a guy like Butler. But look, how many? If Miami Heat were the, were in Boston Celtics uniforms and uh, they and you saw Jimmy Butler going for as long as stretches as he did in games without taking shots, you know, the world would have been crutching down on him. You know, I mean, it's, that's one fallacy I think that needs to be fixed is that um, the Celtics will lose a game, and the talk the next day, social media, radio, etc., cetera, will be, hey, Kemble Walker – Is making this money. He has to take over. Uh, Jason Tatum is this talented. He has to take over. It's like, no, you know, yeah, it's okay. When the shot clock's winding down and a play needs to be made and what you're running is broken, broken down fine. But in terms of saying the start of a game, Kemba Walker, you need to go out and get yours or Jason Tatum. You need to go out and get yours. Pack it in. It's over. You've lost. Because you, you've, taken, you've gone away from what you need to do as a team. You know, um, Kevin McHale, to me, even during some of Michael Jordan's years, to Kevin McHale, to me, was the most automatic two points in the league just because he could get the ball inside, either make a shot, or he was going to get fouled with his up and under thing. But how much of Kevin McHale being able to operate inside was because the guy guarding Larry Bird needed to stay a step closer to Larry Bird on the perimeter. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's all connected. So, you know, you can't say, Larry, go out and get your stuff, because Larry wouldn't have been Larry uh, were it not for, you know, uh, the players around him, too. I mean, he, he made them better, and certainly they made him better. Uh, before – I'm going off on a rant here – but before
1: – <laughs> Keep going, it's fun.
0: Before McHale uh, broke his – played on a broken foot in the 87 playoffs, when the Celtics would play Atlanta, McHale would guard Dominique Wilkins. You know, uh, Parrish would guard Kevin Willis. Larry would guard Tree Rollins, who wasn't getting the ball. So you were giving Larry a break. And the Dominique-Larry game in 88, that happened after McHale played on the broken foot and couldn't play the kind of defense that you needed on a, on a, a, a Dominique. And Larry had more of that assignment, so it was more difficult. Stuff is connected. You know, these players, baseball, you can say guys exist in a vacuum to a degree. Not the same thing in, in basketball. Um, it's all tied together. and I think that to me is why I love the game so much. It is, uh, you, you push yourself physically, mentally to limits, but it's very much a social exercise. You know, um, how well you play together.
1: And that's what it's going to come down to for the Celtics team is figuring out how to stay stay connected and stay playing together when the, when the going gets tough. And a lot of that is down to youth. Uh, at least that's how I see it is, as we spoke about earlier, it's guys wanting to kind of dig their way out of it. And you see that with young teams all the time. I'm excited to see what they do next season. And I'm hoping they've run it back with the same squad and minor tweaks. I'm hoping we don't see anything too... Um, outlandish just because that's to me it's not needed everything they've got in place already is very conducive to winning long term I want to see more team basketball as you spoke about and I feel like you've made some really good points especially in taking over and I'm guilty of that sometimes too I'm like somebody needs to be the closer and close down on the last one minute 30 in a game and be their primary scorer and you make a compelling point not to have that unless obviously a play breaks down and there's five seconds left, or six seconds left.
0: Well, you can have a guy. A guy like Jason Tatum can be the guy with the ball in his hands because, and when you saw him get better at, at moving it afterwards, is okay. You got the ball. Here comes the double team. Now you know. Are you gonna? You know. Are you gonna force up your shot? Or are you gonna hit an open guy? Finding the right open guy, then it's you know, where does the double come from? Does that guy go into the open space? Does Jason find him? You know, you can take advantage of a guy's talent, of a Jason Tatum's talent, and the attention he gets from a defense. uh, By okay, we'll we'll turn it on the we'll we'll turn it on the opponent by having a guy cut and and there's an open bucket. What was the play? the end of the game, uh, before, oh, before they, uh, they lost on the buzzer beater. There was the pass inside that we thought had won the Celtics the game. And, you know, but that's, you know, that's when the W and L comes in.
1: And that pretty much wraps us up for today. I feel like me and you could, I could listen to you talk about basketball all day at this point. (laughs) Um, we've got some great stories and I really like the way you've kind of portrayed what the Celtics did wrong. And it wasn't, I like the way you make it. So it isn't anybody's fault. It was a team game and the team lost as a team by bad team decisions. And
0: it's everyone's fault.
1: Yeah. And in the world of social media and sense, sense I've lost the word now, sensationalization sensationalization, whatever it may be. Um, you don't hear that very often. Usually somebody has to be the guy to shoulder the blame, whether it be Marcus Smart or whether it be Brad Stevens. Some people are blame Danny Ainge. But you, you've you put across a very valid point that I'm hoping the people listening to will take away and actually consider, well, maybe the team just laid a goose egg. Maybe that's exactly what happened. Everybody had, excuse me, everybody got into their own head and the ball movement did stop. I was re-watching clips of game. I think it was game three against Miami on Friday night. And the amount of times that you'd see everybody just go down the floor, wait for the pick and roll with no off-ball movement. No one was cutting baseline. And you could see that they were playing directly into what the zone needed. So, guys, I want you to make sure if you – I'm assuming everybody's already following Steve Ballpet. If you're not, then I don't know what you do with your time. No, there should be. There should be. Steve, I want to say thank you for you jumping on as well. It's been a a great time. Remember something.
0: The last time the Celtics won a championship, they started the year off and they made it with a trip that included London.
1: I remember trying to get tickets to that. Every time I try and get tickets to the Celtics in London, I end up watching in a bar.
0: I remember going to, uh, with uh, Ian, a, a writer in, uh, in, in London, uh, going to Old Cheshire Cheese downtown and taking the subway back to Canary Wharf and it ended up being a long ride.
1: London overrated?
0: No, nope. by just I, a, I don't I don't understand the word London overrated being in the same. Really, you think it's overrated?
1: Massively, maybe I don't know. I, yeah, it's funny.
0: the thing I got from London is um, how old things are there. So um but like I'm near Boston you know so like uh, my town was in, you know been around since the 1600 it, London looks at Boston the way that Boston looks at Los Angeles like you know <laughs> just you're just new kids and it's uh, yeah but uh I uh when well, you see how much has come out of uh London interesting Do you know that uh, I was reading this uh interesting fact right? was it England is responsible I think it's for 63 independence days around the world
1: really I know we were bad we were very bad back in the day it was um
0: you had franchises and you lost them you know
1: yeah we yeah and then I mean I'm not I'm very much pro-american anti-english at this point um yeah it's a weird
0: were you a brexit person
1: no actually I was a remain I wanted to stay. Uh, I like the idea of freedom of movement. I like the idea of being able to go where I want to go and people being able to kind of live their life.
0: You mean playing team ball?
1: Yeah, playing team ball, moving free. I see what you did there. I see what you did. London, though, very overrated. I don't know if that's just because, you know, it's here for me. So it's, it's somewhere that I don't really look to go. Uh, I I'm, I'm know that.
0: Um, how often have you been away?
1: Um... More recently, like uh, outside of England, you mean? Yeah. Uh, 20, 30. Yeah,
0: I think uh, the more you're away, the more you'll appreciate. I think that's the way life works.
1: Yeah, I, I I like, um, it's crazy. I like Los Angeles and I don't like London and they're both huge cities. So I don't know how that works. One sunny, one's not. I'm guessing it's the sunshine.
0: Yeah, that's an issue. Um, I suggest uh, T. S. Eliot for you. Book. The end of our travels, the end of our journey.
1: I'll, T. S. Eliot. Let me write this down.
0: Yeah,
1: I have to read a lot for my degree. So this Paraphrasing,
0: is what... but uh, to be re- to, re- to be to return home and to know it for the first time.
1: And guys, you've just listened to us go into a very different type of conversation. So. Um, <laughs> 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 All right. We're going to end there. And
0: now we're going to sit. Now we're going to leave this and go watch American football uh, with, uh, and uh, with its debilitating knee and uh,
1: head injuries.
0: Head injuries. Yes.
1: I'm going to the circus to watch people maybe catch head injuries. We don't know yet.
0: Yeah, I just catch
1: Wednesday. <laughs> Thank you again, Steve.